Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening into the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I am pleased to be joined today by uh, priest and author, Reverend Dr. Eric H.F. Law. So, hello. Hello. Uh, Dr. Law, and uh, is it okay if I call you Eric? I should have asked that first. Eric is fine. Mm-hmm. Eric, thank you. Uh, Eric is a priest in the Episcopal Church, and he's the director of the Kaleidoscope Institute. And I got to learn from him at a at a seminar that he was a participant at through the Christian Church of Jesus Christ um, a couple of years back in Indianapolis. I really appreciated kind of his work at the Kaleidoscope Institute, and I recently got to read one of his books, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but first, I want to hear kind of your story and, and how you got into ministry, your path of Christianity. Tell me, tell us what you're what you'd like to share there. Yeah, uh, I'm a, what we call a cradle Episcopalian, uh, mm. a term that we use. Uh, that means I was born and uh, baptized as a baby in the Episcopal Church. And uh, back where I was born in Hong Kong, it was the Anglican Church in Hong Kong. So okay. I kind of grew up in church and. Church was like, um, you know, something that you do. You know, uh, my mom always took me to church, especially Easter. That's her favorite season. But of mm-hmm. course, Christmas, and uh, I remember Pentecost very well. So we weren't just Christmas and Easter Christian. We're a little bit more than that. Um, uh-huh. And then I think what, what really happened in my faith journey is when we immigrated to the United States in 1970. And... Uh, First thing we did was, of course, uh, in, as immigrant in New York City, was to look for community. And we went to the Law Family Association and discovered I have many uncles <laughs> in the United States, in Chinatown, New York. But then mm-hmm. the second place we went to was the Episcopal Mission in Chinatown. And, uh-huh. and that's where a lot of my formation come. Church is no longer something that, was there church was the the shelter the place where we find connection uh where we get summer jobs uh where we Mm -hmm. learn to be responsible being i was uh drafted as the organist even though i only played the piano wow (laughs) and we were drafted to do youth group when i was only Uh like 16 17 you know get in a ministry young yeah and then um Went away to college, and really, that's when it just um, uh, blossomed uh, into th- uh, churches, not just um, internal, but more external, looking at justice issues. Uh, mm-hmm. Introduced to uh, giants like uh, uh, all the big ones back then, uh, uh, Walter Wink, uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Berrigan's, uh, William Stringfellow's, um, uh-huh. uh, uh, Thomas Merton, yeah, uh, you know, and uh, William Sloan Coffin, 
uh, at Riverside uh, Church, and so uh, and and really got into that justice work and and justice and mercy and compassion, you know, all row into one. And yeah. so that's kind of how I got into ministry, and I um, I, I fought it and went into uh, I was in my degree uh, at Cornell was a uh, uh, electrical engineer, and I actually oh, wow. worked as an engineer, and then I went into seminary after that. Um, so yeah, uh, and um, uh, because I am Chinese American uh, in mm-hmm. a church that really don't know what to do with us. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up doing very interesting ministry, like campus ministry at USC and, yeah. and uh, doing, um, uh, not getting the kind of job that I was dreaming that I could uh, mm-hmm. and and just forced to be, look outward and created uh, my own uh, ministry in dealing with multicultural ministry at first and then mm-hmm. congregation, that vitality, and now in uh, stewardships. And in, uh, of course, a major part of my work is doing interracial dialogue uh, after mm. the 92 riots in Los Angeles. And I, yeah. I was 20 something and I was already known in LA as uh as a person who can really pull this off so i was uh i was asked by the interreligious council southern california and uh, and uh somewhere along the there there's a fema grant uh to coordinate wow. two years of interracial dialogue all across los wow. angeles involving uh 50 plus religious co- uh, community and nine major religions so wow. that's really kind of where all my work ticks off from from that place. Uh, uh, find creating space where people can actually connect and deal with tough issues uh, without killing each other. Is that yeah. enough for the for the? That's great. The, uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. I, I love that point you made about creating spaces where people can have those con- hard conversations. I've. I know I said in the past, like if if we can't if if we can't do it at church, like then where else are we going to do it, mm. right? Well, and have to be honest, church today has been part of that negativity, part of that mm. I'm yeah. right, you're wrong kind of uh, debate versus a real mm. dialogue and conversation that is courageous and gracious, and um, and we, you know. Um, and part of my ministry is to uh, empower local churches uh, to to really turn this around and to say that what if our churches now is a place where people can have gracious and brave conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you notice uh, when something you know explosive happen, like uh, uh, the African American churches are really good at this. Uh, the, yep the African community, American community will converge to churches where they pray mm-hmm. together, where they work together, find movement together. And that's what they're known for. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you imagine, you know, uh, in the future when an issue comes up in our country and the UCC church, which is yours, right. Or the, my church, Episcopal church mm-hmm. places where people first have, uh, come, first come to mind was to go to yeah. the UCC church or go to the Episcopal church in my neighborhood uh, yeah. where we my voice could be heard, 
where I can hear other voices, where I can really learn about the full spectrum of what this issue is about. Uh, wouldn't that well, that's be great? great. Yeah. Right? We do that. Wouldn't that be great? Grow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, you're really diving right in. I love this. Um, <laughs> tell me if you would anything as you, as you, um, as you've grown and developed in your, in your faith, anything that's looks differently than now than, and then in your youth, perhaps. Well, back you know, when I was I was on the kind of um, uh, writing the wrong mode of ministry, which is, you know, what traditionally might be called prophetic ministry, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out there protesting. I put my body on the line. I I get in the front line and talk to this, the guards at the Trident submarine and, and talk about, nuclear arms would destroy the world if we don't do anything about it and you're part of the problem kind of thing, right? I was in your face. I was uh, doing that when I was young. Um, And and certainly there's a major part, place uh, for people of faith to do that. Um, God knows we need people to to raise those voices, right? Um, as I grow older and I felt that there needs to be a space where, where people who are different, uh, different can engage each other in a, uh, in a passionate but uh, gracious uh, conversation uh, so that we can truly learn from each other. One of the issues from early on when I was working on my first book, uh, The Wolves of Draw with the Lamb, Mm-hmm. Was that um, at that time in 1980 something? Uh, uh, many of us uh, were talking about anti-racism training and so on, um, and which is badly needed, right? Um, but yep. what I noticed was that when the word racism was used, half the pop- people in the room shut down. Just, yeah. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to be in a place where I'm being yelled at and being called racist. Yep. And what am I going to do with that, right? Uh, and so I kind of learned that, and um, and then a lot, much of my ministry since then is to find create places uh, that's different from that confrontational place, which is important, mm-hmm. right? Because if mm-hmm. you don't confront it, people won't listen. But once mm-hmm. they say, "What do you want?" <laughs> right. Once the power yeah. says, "What do you want?" and they find you finally get the attention, then we really need to get into the mode of real listening and com- uh, having real conversation. How do we prepare the powerful to to listen huh. uh, and learn and and not be you know paralyzed by that? And how do we prepare those who have been voiceless voiceless to speak? Uh, truthfully in the ways that other people can understand that is so that we can wow. truly move into a space where the where the wolf and the lamb shall really dwell together right uh, where the That's powerful great, yeah. powerless can work together to create a new vision of the realm of god and that has been you know my goal since 19 you know 89 <laughs> i'm uh-huh. old <laughs> <laughs> I love that that you're bringing that up because I think that's one of the things that I, I kind of think about just observing uh, in our time that we're recording, what mid July, in in some places the, the protests from the unjust killing of 
George Floyd and Breonna Taylor have to some extent lessened. And I, I'm curious to kind of see how this work moves forward into and how uh, places and contexts and uh, opportunities are created for this more for substantial dialogue to mm. bring about more substantive change. So uh, I, I'm interested to hear more about that. Let me ask you though, um, before we get into some more of this, are there any spiritual practices you've developed over your years that you'd recommend to others? Um, uh, the, the one big thing is in my organization and my teaching uh, is this respectful communication guideline, which is mm-hmm. something that uh, I uh, walk through with people uh, and have people agree to it before we have conversation. And, and it could be as simple as, um, uh, will you agree with me that we will listen to each other empathetically uh, with compassion uh, and uh-huh. we will not debate who's right and who's wrong, but we will truly try to understand each other and we will keep confidentiality and not share things about each other that could hurt, another, hurt, hurt the other person. Um, and that would, uh, I would invite you to ponder and think about what you're going to say before you say it and share uh-huh. from a deeper place uh, and, and, and ask clarifying questions uh, if you don't understand something or check in with the person uh, whether you, you have listened and understood correctly. I mean, those are simple guidelines that a lot of people take for granted and, yeah. and a lot of people don't know this, have never exposed to it and so to so to present and agree uh, upon with your conversation partner or in the community uh, of some kind of respectful communication guideline is crucial uh, as a spiritual practice. So if you go to my website, you'll see the respectful communication guidelines in five languages: French, wow. Spanish, English, uh, Korean, Chinese, and so on. Um, that's one. Uh, the other one is uh, uh, called mutual invitation, where instead of just say you can talk and I can talk anytime I want, especially in a group of more than like five people, uh, between five and twelve, um, the practice we use is we invite each other to speak. So I mm. share and I will invite you, and you would share and you'll invite someone else by name until everybody is invited. And once you're invited, you can say pass if you don't want to say anything. Or you can say, I pass for now because you're not ready. And then we can come back to you later. It's that simple. And it works in Zoom uh, in uh, on the internet these days. Uh, I People have told me that this mutual invitation process has been the savior uh, of uh, Zoom chaos. Wow. <laughs> uh, where there's an orderly way of inviting every voice to come in. And there's a calms that come over this uh, when you practice it. I just did a noonday Bible sharing using this process. And I have people from London uh, and California and Iowa joining us. And uh, and we use this process. And we have people of uh, uh, Islamic background uh, and Christian. And we're studying uh, Christian scripture together. We're studying the, the upcoming lectionary text of the parable. Uh-huh. And it was wonderful to watch people being respectful 
and and share their ideas of what this means. And then I said, I'm now going to invite Nina. Nina will share. And Nina does not agree with this person, but it did not matter. Uh, yeah. Nina can share, and they can go in different direction. And at the end, there was just this, this sense of community that mm. we are different, and yet we are actually connecting in ways that is quite different than the kind of connection that where we totally agree with each other, which is kind of nice to have. But right. to say that we are friends and we are different, even though we don't hundred percent agree on everything. Yeah. And, yeah, that's great. Uh, and so, so those are the two major practices that I've been teaching ever since I was in campus ministry uh, in, in, the, in the 80s, where I developed these practices. Uh, and I oh, use great. them regularly when I go to consult with churches. That's the first thing I do. And the third one yeah. is using mutual invitation to study scripture together and listen uh, to each other's respect uh, perspective, invite everybody mm. to connect with scripture before we begin with anything, uh, dealing with anything. If, if we're in an all-Christian environment, that's what I would use. Those are great. Those are great. Well, let's get into let's get into your book. So you're the author of a book that's recently been republished about a year ago, yes, called Fear Not. In January, yeah. Living Grace and Truth in a Frightened World. And as I was reading, this is this is a book that was originally published after 9-11. And it seems very timely that we're now in the in the midst of COVID and this is out. And you seem to have it's so appropriate. I just I just observe that. And one of the things you say in the book is that fear is not the problem. Avoiding fear is. And I I found that very uh, interesting and curious, and I'm I'm wondering. Uh, I study, I try to study family systems theory a lot, and one of the the principles in family systems theory is that we all have anxiety, and it's not that we can't not have anxiety; it's just being aware of anxiety. And I'm curious if it's a similar kind of idea here that it's not that we don't have fears; it's just we try to pretend we don't. Mm-hmm. Actually, fear is a gift. Uh, oh, when you when your body and your brain signal that uh, mm-hmm. uh, give you a fear signal, that yeah. means you need to pay attention. That's really what that is. Uh, our survival yeah. thing uh, um, give us this this fear thing, uh, which mm-hmm. drive our body to pay attention. And in the old days, you know. Uh, that uh, flight or fight, fight or flight kind of, yep. you know, you got to be ready. So, so your energies are focused and so on. And what happened is that um, often uh, that fear does not feel very good. Okay. Yeah. And after yeah. even dealt with it positively, we might say, Oh, I don't want to feel that again. Right. <laughs> and if you lose the, that sense of, uh, responding to fear as a gift, as a positive thing, uh, and you begin to avoid it, then you create a phobia. Mm. Phobia uh, will create distance. So, for example, if I am um, not able to face the fear that I have when I encounter someone who voted differently in the last presidential election, yeah, and I'm not willing to go there, and and face my fear and is it real that uh is am i actually in 
uh, have a bodily harm in this situation. Um, and I found out what well, I'm, you know, for example, and I'm not out there in Charlottesville where there are people with guns. Okay, I'm not in that kind of danger, right? I mm-hmm. am in a church setting where I encounter someone who actually was uh, voted the other way and are speaking in a way that caused me fear. Mm-hmm. I, go, hmm, I am not really in an immediate danger here. So I need to uh, pay attention to what, what is this fear is about. Right? I might actually engage uh, in a conversation with this person and face my fear that way. And I might come out of it in all kinds of ways, right? Now, if I avoid yeah. that, uh, every time I see someone or uh, who behave in a, and any, give me any inkling that he is on the other side, so to speak, right. then I will cut myself off from ever connecting with those folks. Yeah. And then eventually I will create a phobia. I will not deal with anybody who have voted the other way. Right? That's interesting. Uh, yeah. and, and therefore, there's there's no more possibility for reconciliation, for building the, the, the realm of God, knowing our differences. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're seeing this in our country a lot. Yeah. Back in the, the 70s, when I first moved to this country in upper state New York, um, uh-huh. uh, you can see uh, political signs every other house, you know, for different candidates. And people proudly display, you know, who they are for. And they will have reasonable conversation with the neighbors. Right. Why I vote for this person and not that. Yeah. Right. Today, you don't see that. Uh, Right. I was in an area. uh, I I saw a house with a giant iron gate all around it. And right Mm -hmm. inside the gate, uh, there is a big sign that says liberal free zone. (laughs) <laughs> and above it is the giant American flag. Yeah. Now, I kind of go, wait a minute, there is a phobia going on here. Yeah. And I wonder what this person or this family is afraid of. And how how are they gonna tell that I, I would admit I'm kind of on the liberal end of the bend of the of the mm-hmm. how did I how did he know that I'm liberal? <laughs> right? Yeah. So there's no absolutely no possibility for me to even reach out or for for us to make any kind of connection, and that's the problem. When you when you avoid your fear and become a phobia, that it cuts yeah. you off. Okay, and, and biblically, there's a lot of phobia going on. You know, uh, the people who are unclean in those society, and Jesus yeah. tried to break through, tried to touch the unclean, eat dinner with uh-huh. them and so on, and he tried to break through the phobia and have people deal with their fear and say, wait a minute, if Jesus is a teacher, why does he know that he's not supposed to do this? Right? And wow. and Jesus yeah. broke through our phobia and said, you got to deal with your fear. Um, mm-hmm. You need to talk to everybody, including centurions and yeah. um, eunuchs and... Uh, 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 you know, and women who are considered unclean and right. Samaritan, who is uh, our mortal enemy, according to uh, cult- cultural upbringing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus says, no, 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 no. You do not create a phobia and cut off from connecting with another child of God. That's and great. This is how you do it, right? And Jesus modeled that for us. Now, the question I have is, you, you write this in your book also, that people react to fear 
not to love. So how how could we how do we begin to counter that? And I think especially as church leaders or pastors, how can we begin to counter that fear motivator? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do yeah. we do that? Because fear is such a natural response, and many mm-hmm. uh, many uh, I would say manipulative type, power hungry type, yeah. or what yeah. I call a fear exploiter. Uh, we'll use that. Yeah, we'll come back to that point. We'll yeah. come back to that term. <laughs> we'll, use, we'll, we'll invoke a fear so that you will do what he or she or they want you to do. Mm-hmm. Benefit them, right? So so fear, uh, um, but also for us good-hearted folks, <laughs> fear yeah. is also a motivator to do good. Mm. So... so um, uh, the best thing you can do is not to say you shouldn't be afraid. That would be stupid to say. Okay. Because fear is natural. Okay. Right. But to acknowledge that I notice that you are fearful or you say that you are, or, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and what is this? What is this about this fear? Can you tell me? Right. So the best thing you can do as church folks, leader, is to acknowledge the fear and invite them to enter into a gracious environment that clearly say to them that we will not do that which you are afraid of. Hmm. We will emphasize how we are beloved, how you are also beloved. Mm -hmm. And that in that belovedness, we can deal with our differences. Right, so so we have a, a, a another spiritual practice that uh, uh, we would invite people to come to a conversation, and the formula is: you, uh, Lauren, are invited to a uh, um, a conversation about race relations in our neighborhood. Okay, neutral name. Yeah, and then at this gathering, we will not point fingers at each other and call each other racist. Mm. We will mm-hmm. listen to each other, even though when we disagree. We mm. will be good to each other, uh, but we will not ignore issues that is important to different people in in the room. Yeah, we, you know, you can see how I say we will not, which address people. Yeah, because and even just will. listening to you, I can feel my own kind of unconscious like walls coming down. Exactly, and I think about this like as a white person, I think when we're talking about race, I think so many white people like our moral fear is to be called a racist. Mm -hmm. And if you can go into that meeting, say, Hey, I'm going to acknowledge your fear. We're not here to point fingers. And this is a gracious environment. Like my kind of anxiety, my fear gets is naturally decreased Mm -hmm. from that. So related to this, I want to, I'm curious, like, you talk about rituals in your book, some helpful, some unhelpful. And certainly you and the Episcopal Church, rituals are a big part of the, the faith experience. Mm-hmm. What are some examples of rituals that are helpful and unhelpful? Mm-hmm. Um, unhelpful rituals are like, uh, uh, is the equivalent to uh, there's a volcano erupting. Okay, <laughs> and the people are okay. uh, down on the ground dancing, thinking that our dance uh-huh. is gonna stop the volcano. Okay, yeah. that's unhelpful ritual. 
Okay, so if you look at our pandemic, there's a whole lot of ritual around that does nothing <laughs> to address the real fear that we have. Mm. Right? Yeah. Um. Um. You know, the the, the ritual that uh, of of uh, striking back. You know, connecting. Yeah. Be a conqueror. Uh, the ritual of blaming uh, somebody else for this. Yeah. Um, uh, my yeah. As we're recording view, this, yesterday, I think the president just uh, officially withdrew from the WHO. That's an mm-hmm. example of, I guess, blaming someone else, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, blaming is a ritual uh, that we mm. see over and over and over again. Um, and uh, and. Uh, uh, and I think the other side does that too, right? Uh, yeah, not, yeah. Not as kind of uh, open, blatant about that, right? Right. But nevertheless, you know, we can blame President Trump all we want. That is still right. a ritual. It does not address what our what our fear really. Yeah, that's is, so good. Right. Um, so that's good. Like dancing around, expecting the the, the virus to go away. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right. I heard it. Um, the Liturgist podcast, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they, I remember they did an episode a few years back and they talked about this the, the phrase, love trumps hate. Mm-hmm. Like, it can be understood so many different ways. Like, mm-hmm. love can trump hate. But then, from a, like, think about it from, like, like you've mentioned, from like a left side of the political aisle, like, the left can almost love Trump's hate because of what it it the fear it promotes or i don't know if that makes sense but it, mm-hmm. it yeah it's a ritual in itself of kind of loving and feeding into mm-hmm. um that hate so so so, so you've you're, um you're you know, i've cut you off here go back again you know it is a bad ritual when nothing's changed yeah when you're running around doing things saying things and nothing has changed that's a bad ritual who benefit from that? You decide, right? Hold on, I want to. I want to come. I want to emphasize that a bad ritual is because n- is when you've done it and nothing has changed. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. And a good ritual actually create wellness. Okay. Wow. So so if uh, a, a uh, you know uh, if the church. You know, for example, a church ritual is um, give each other the peace, right? That's a, yeah. a ritual. Now, in order to truly mm-hmm. do that, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I always say go to someone that you don't get along and give them the peace. <laughs> you know? and, and that's a ritual and, and nothing may change, but sometimes things change, right? I mean, we're, mm. we're really facing each other, right? Um, and uh, the ritual that I use is less before we, you know, uh, uh, I want to know, I, w- I, I, I have a ritual writing down my fear and I have oh. inviting others to write down the fear and let's talk uh-huh. about that. Let's share about what your fears are, you know, um, and that's a good ritual, right? Um, mm-hmm. Rituals can be connected with technology and science. Okay. Uh-huh. So, for example, the ritual of putting on your seatbelt. <laughs> yeah. Ritual, yeah. Right. It saves lives. For a long time, yeah. we did not wear seatbelt until we made it into a law that you have to, and you don't, you get fined. 
Okay. And now the and now the ritual is as I was just speaking to you before we started recording in Colorado. The ritual is you have to wear a mask That's out right. in public places. Right. And what happened in the initial shutdown in California, in my area, was that most people develop a ritual of wearing a mask, even gloves, when they go out mm-hmm. and the six feet distance. You can see people backing off. Uh, yeah. And they're greeting each other at a distance. Those are new rituals that yeah. will keep us safe. Uh, from getting the virus, which will and they, so they create wellness fear, then. which is address yeah. true fear of getting sick. Okay, mm. um, it you know and, and so, so again, fear is not always bad. Then that's right. Now I have mm. a mask at the door. <laughs> I have plastic gloves right by the door, and mm-hmm. I have a disinfectant wipe that I put yeah. in a plastic bag, uh, Ziploc bag that I put in my pocket when I go out. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and that's a ritual that will help mm. me be, to be safe and help other to be safe. Does that make sense? So, yeah, so that's a good ritual and it, it connected with science and it connect with, and I talk about, um, science ritual and, um, uh, there was one more thing that I, uh, it, it's the key thing to address our, our, our uncertainty, uh, mm-hmm. uh, rules, science, rules, yeah. ritual, and, and wearing the mask is ro- all rolled into one. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, um, you know, and, and if your fear is losing your liberty, okay, which is one of the issues that yep. forced me to wear a mask, um, you are taking my liberty away. Yep. Right. Um, and, and I think we need to have a conversation about that. <laughs> right yeah what is liberty you know uh mm-hmm. freedom does not mean i can take a gun and shoot you right consequences to right. to freedom right um and because other people have freedom too right so yeah when, when one's freedom is impacting another's livelihood and wellness then we need to engage in a real conversation to develop a new ritual that we all can live with Hmm. Uh, and because the other side, the unhelpful ritual is is either or. Uh, yeah. You blame me. I blame you. You're, uh, yeah. you're free or not. Uh, you can yeah. be free and have your liberty and wear a mask as a ritual. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I don't understand this. Why uh, our fear exploiter who wants to make money for those who do, or marketer, don't mm-hmm. create a ritual of wearing masks as the fashionable, fashionable <laughs> cool thing to do. Yeah. Right? And sell a lot of masks, branded masks. For those of us who lived through the AIDS crisis, which yeah. is the virus, mm-hmm. it, it was like pulling teeth on campus, college campus, which is what we're dealing with right now with this one. Right, to mm-hmm. get them to use condom. I mean, it's really a hard conversation to have, right? It's an embarrassing yeah. thing, right? Yeah. But we did it. We asked kids to get into a new ritual of using a condom to protect each other because this virus is so deadly. Right? You know, it's funny. I saw a, a, a thread on Twitter uh, literally making that same comparison about uh, trying to advocate for condom usage in, in sexual education and trying to compare it to wearing masks and for this crisis. 
Uh, yes, and I think we as a nation needs to create new rituals um, uh, that will help us get through this next year. This virus isn't going to yeah. go away, and we're not going to have a vaccine. Yeah. And churches are struggling with this because they are so yes. used to ritual that are based, that has helped them as a community. Yeah. It's so much contained uh, uh, in, in the four in walls. Space. Exactly. Yeah, and now we have to create new rituals that can keep us well as a community in cyberspace. And this is so good. We gotta learn how to do that, and this is so good. Is key to dealing with our fear, and, and many churches are using uh, the technology, but we still need to create wellness in that. Uh, not, mm. uh, it's not a replacement. It's a new ritual. Uh, it's a. Uh, 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 that create community, um, uh, a community of support that create a sense of intimacy, uh, which is what the book is about, right? How do you create? Yeah, intimacy, right. Uh, which yeah. is pure to fear. Yeah. Boy, we. Uh, I got to ask you one more question just to define some of these terms you've been using. Um, so you use these terms inter intermittently here, and I want to ask you about them. So, you, so in the book, you talk about fear conquerors, fear bearers, You've used the term here, fear exploiters. Uh, and then I don't remember if you've said this, but fear miners is a term used in the book. Can you explain those briefly and then kind of talk about how they work amongst each other? So fear conqueror uh, um, uh, are folks who um, uh, deal with their fear by striking back. Okay. As long as I'm striking back, uh, I am dealing with my fear. Okay, whether it's mm. constructive or not, that's another question, right? But most uh, and, and and a lot of time is a bad kind of ritual that doesn't really change anything, right? So, yeah. so for example, after nine eleven, our whole nation went into fear conqueror mode. Yeah, as long as we strike back, we just we just go and start a war with Afghanistan, and then we start a war mm -hmm. with Iran. Um, as long as we're fighting back, we think we are dealing with our fear. Wow. And Twenty plus years later, we're still still fighting those same wars. Right. We're st so so fear conqueror um, often uh, used by what we call uh, uh, fear exploiter to keep other people as fear bearers. Fear bearers are the ones that are taught to accept fear. Deal with fear by accepting mm -hmm. the threat, uh, by staying within the boundary that was set by the conqueror. Okay? okay. And if you step across it, harm will come to you. Oh. As how we uh, fear bearers are taught to do that, are forced to do that. Okay. So if you are an Afri African American driving black, okay. Uh -huh. And there are rules when you when the police stops you, right? As opposed to fear, fear bearer, you keep your hand on the real invisible. You do not try to reach for anything. You yeah. do not talk back. And if you do, harm will come to you. Does that make sense? That's a classic. Yeah, example yeah, that's, of, that's of a good example. Forcing a whole community. Uh, uh, to be fear bearer. And, and we're saying, no, we don't want to do that anymore. And we keep trying to tell the truth 
that this happened over and over and over again, and people don't believe us until we have now videotapes. <laughs> yeah. Video that shows that this actually happened. And people uh, that back life matters, uh, folks are saying, no, we, we're not going to be fear, fear bearers anymore. Right. So it's fear bear, you know, and it, it functions in all kinds of ways. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. in family, there's also fear conqueror and fear bearer roles that we play. Uh, yeah. Often not very helpful and healthy. Yeah. Um, and uh, fear exploiters are the puppet, ma- puppet masters uh, who, yeah. who, who, uh, uh, conquer and uh, divide and conquer, right? He, he, we mm-hmm. create a group of people to be fear conqueror and force those who don't agree uh, or those who are less powerful to become fear bearer. Okay. Um, so it's like, uh, to use a biblical example, uh, Pharaoh who forgotten what Joseph has done many, many years ago uh, for Egypt. Um, uh, started spreading a rumor that uh, the Israelite is going to grow so big as a community that they're going to yeah. hate us. So that's the first case of preemptive strike ever recorded uh, in human history. So because interesting. We, think, we think they're going to hurt us, therefore that gives us the right to create a whole class of people to oppress them. They were the fear. And we never see that today, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so the Egyptians were taught to hate and, and oppress the Israelite. Okay. And the Israelite are forced to be fear bearer. And in the process, Pharaoh have free laborers and created yep. many cities and buildings and pyramids that the Jewish folks built for them, the Israelite built for them. And so there's always someone to gain from from this. Fear exploiters are often ones that gain power and money uh, from mm. creating these categories and reinforcing the system of conqueror and bear. Now, a fear miner, tell me how that works. Fear miners are like uh, those who follow uh, follow Jesus. Um, we miner is uh, mining, right? We're mining mm-hmm. from fear the gems of ministry. So we're not afraid of fear. We don't avoid it. We have the courage to face it and die deep into it and mine from it fear, uh, 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 the, 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 the gems and the seed for ministry. Okay, so, so for example, uh, if I have a uh, fear of uh, public speaking, mm-hmm. uh and um and 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 I realized that okay, and I might say something like, if I have to give a speech, I'm gonna die, right? So fear <laughs> is always yeah. connected with death. And so the mind from that fear, okay, instead of saying I will never give a speech no matter what you say, it then I have a phobia about giving a speech now, right? But if I say I'm gonna face it, and then I started asking question, where does this how how long does it take from giving a bad speech? To death. That's how you mine. That's how you start digging, right? So in order for me to go from giving a bad speech to dying, uh, I have to give a really bad speech, and then uh, my bishop hears about it and fired. <laughs> yeah, and I lost my paycheck, and then I lost. Uh, I couldn't keep up my house payment or rent. Yeah, so I get evicted. Okay, and then I'm out on the street, and then. Um, and then I lost my health insurance. So right. I, I caught pneumonia 
and I don't have health insurance, I'm dying on the street. Okay, how many steps is that from not from giving a speech to dying? Many, mm-hmm. many, many steps. Many. Right. So I go all the way to death, which is what Jesus has taught us. To to mind from fear is to go face your fear all the way to the cross. And then you come back and say, you know, there's a resurrection, isn't it? <laughs> that this fear is really not that dangerous. Number one, I won't die from giving this. Yeah. So what is this speech? What is this fear speaking really is about? Hmm. And if I dig deep into that, I might discover that I just really don't like being rejected by people. Yeah. And then I kind of figure, well, isn't that what everybody, a lot of people in the world, they need community that accept them and love them independent on their performance? Oh, yes. And then I started thinking, you know what? That's kind of my call to ministry, isn't it? That I want to create yep. community that accept and love people independent of their own their their sense of their own performance. You don't have to earn your acceptance and love. Yeah. How do I do that? And then I discover so a fear miner would take every fear and reflect and dig all the way to the to death and come around. Now, if mm. I'm on the balcony of a 30-story uh, building and I have right. a figure of height, yeah, that's that's ground founded, and and I I I, I mine from that and say yes, my fear of height is founded because if this rail you know give, I'm gonna drop 30 story down and I'm dead. It's mm-hmm. a two step for me to go from fear of height and a 30 story building to death. That means I got to do something about it. I need to be very careful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I still deal with this height thing, right? And I mindfully yeah. say the real fear is the loss of control. Hmm. Hmm. What does that tell me about ministry? Right? So, yeah, so it's good. Fear minor are the ones that willing to explore what fear, what the fear comes from. Take it all the way to the to the cross, and then come back and say. Sometimes it's a quick reflection. Sometimes it's a lifelong reflection. That's, That's a very long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to take a break, but uh, that was a great answer. So let's let's take a break here, and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Eric Law and uh, some great conversation about fear from his book, Fear Not. And uh, here we'll go some quick uh, quick questions, and you can take them as seriously or not as you'd like to. But if you're Pope for a day, do you have one big agenda item you'd like to accomplish? Um, I would invite everybody to just take a deep breath. <laughs> That's that's a good one. Take a deep breath and appreciate God's creation. That uh, and look around and and affirm that there's always enough. Uh, if only we share. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I would uh, uh, make sure that there's plenty of example of how sharing 
what we have is going to create the the realm of God that Jesus talked about. Good, good. All right, here's a here's another one. If you were if you could bring back to life or meet a historical Christian figure or theologian, who would it be? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think he um, he was very young. Wow! Yeah, uh, imagine if we have another thirty years, forty years with him. My goodness! Yeah, uh, he his later writing was so prophetic. Uh, right, the environment dealing with nuclear arms uh, that a lot of people didn't know about. You know, so right. Uh, yes, uh, and the other one I've been reading is uh, William Sloan Coffin, who was the okay. uh, pastor at Riverside Church, and I was just reading his sermon, uh, and he was saying all the stuff that we uh, white Christian needs to say and think about uh-huh. back in 1970s. Wow. <laughs> it was that amazing. Uh, wow. So, so uh, check him out. I mean, he's a white yeah, guy. Who, I've heard the name. Yeah, I will. At that time, he was dealing with the gay issue. He was dealing with uh, yeah. nuclear arms and the environment mostly. Yeah. So, but anyway. And in all places of New York City. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yep. If, uh, do you have any guess what Christianity will look like in 500 years or maybe? Conversely, what do you think Christianity and what will they remember us for in 500 years? <laughs> uh, if we um, uh, if we are able to let go of the model of the last 500 years, uh, I think we will be remembered two ways. Uh, one is that uh, Christianity was co-opted uh, by a political system to take one side, yeah, uh, and um, and uh, and if we work hard at it in the next hundred years uh, in the United States and and also most part of the world, that we might uh, discover uh, 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 Christianity a Christianity that doesn't take sides. Uh, uh, but it takes the size of the oppressed. I mean, I have to say that. But, uh-huh. um, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, and and yet uh, a compassionate to uh, people who have struggled with change, um, rather than uh, Christianity being co-opted to support the fear conqueror and the fear exploiter, or Christianity being um, used by the exploiter. Um, yeah, uh, you know. Uh, if we if we really um, uh, really uh, take our part uh, in claiming to be Christian and claiming to be uh, uh, a God uh, uh, to 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 uh, to to know that everyone is beloved, uh, what what would that look like, right? So, hmm. well, that's great. Where can people find out more about you? Well, um, you can Google my name and find a lot of stuff. Make sure you put my middle initial, Eric H F H S and Henry F S and Freddie. It stands for Hong Fat, my Chinese name. Um, okay. You will find uh, my music. You will find uh, um, uh, a lot of talks that I've given. Uh, 
you uh-huh. want it, you might want to check out my latest music album. Uh, oh, okay. You can find it on all the major music streaming, uh, Apple Music, uh, Spotify. And just uh-huh. uh, check my Eric HF Law, and then the, my latest album is called Upside Down Town. Upside Down. Awesome. And new albums coming out this fall called Better Angels. Um, wow. Angels is after Abraham Lincoln's uh, inaugural speech. And so I'm a musician and composer, so I've been working on a lot of music since the pandemic. Um, yeah. So the Better Angel is actually addressing that. And, of course, uh, you can find a lot of books. Uh, I've written 11 books. Um, and uh, go to Kaleidoscope Institute. Uh, there's only a few of us. Uh, 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 so kscopeinstitute.org, um, mm-hmm. you'll find uh, what my organization is doing. And also, you can hear me having conversation with today's great spiritual leaders, uh, August 3rd to 13th uh, in the Kaleidoscope Summer Institute. Okay, and, yeah. Uh, and you can just... Um, uh, go to our website and click on Summer Institute and you'll see the lineup of uh, conversation partners. Uh, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church will go first, uh, Michael Curry. Uh-huh. And we have people like Greg, Father Greg Boyle, who founded Home yeah. Industry. Yeah. We have um, uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Kelly Brown Douglas, who is the dean of the mm-hmm. Divinity School, so articulate about racial issues uh, of that day. From a theological perspective, uh, we have Becca Stevens, who is uh, uh, the founder of Thistle Farm, which work with disadvantaged women. We have the head of uh, the principal of the first Islamic theological school uh, in conversation about Christian Muslim dialogue. So, oh. uh, so uh, at the, the, it will be a nine day uh, Sabbath for folks who want to do uh-huh. that thing. And from 9 a.m. to 11.30 each day Pacific time, uh, you can register for the whole thing. Uh, then you'll see me every day for nine days. <laughs> um, or you can just register for one day or as many days as you want. Uh, you can just register for the day, uh, the, the speakers that you would like. And each day there will be a workshop that will teach some of the great rituals that we teach that will actually uh-huh. create change and wellness. So, August 13, Kaleidoscope Summer Online Institute. Everything will be done online. Fabulous. I was curious when I saw that. I was wondering if you're going to make it work somehow in this pandemic world we're living in. But, um, yeah, I'll have to check that out and recommend that. So, again, um, thank you so much, Eric, for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'd recommend for folks listening your book, Fear Not, is a great place to start thinking about all these things we discussed today. Visit his website. But otherwise, uh, peace be with you, Eric, and uh, blessings to you and your ministry. Peace and blessing. Be safe. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.